asked my kids to pray for me. Actually, I didn't ask them. I told them that they would pray for me on the way in. I gave them happy meals earlier. I'm pretty sure they owe me a couple prayers. Uh, so they did pretty good. My first one managed to tie in her prayers to what I was preaching on. Uh, I was quite impressed. And then my youngest asked God that I and her dad would tell her she's pretty more often. So I don't know if that's helping me, but <laughs> I'm going to take all of them. <laughs> Uh, so as Matt mentioned, we've been in a series called Turning Points. We're wrestling with the idea that our decisions matter by looking at pivotal moments in the lives of different Bible characters. We've looked at Abraham, Achan, and David. And this week, we're looking at the story of Ruth. And I'm very excited to preach about Ruth. It's not at all related, but my grandma's name is Ruth, so it just makes me happy <laughs> to get to talk about it today. Uh, so Ruth is the story of God's grace in the midst of difficult circumstances. It gives us a glimpse into the way that God is working behind the scenes for the good of those who love him and to fulfill his plans and purposes in the world. It's also a story that highlights the importance and the power of our own decisions, of Ruth's decisions, and gives us helpful ways to know how to make our decisions and how to move forward. It shows uh, both sides of this balance, that there is something God's doing and that there's something that we're doing. I drink a lot of water. I apologize. That will be distracting, and it's going to be okay. Uh, along the way, we get to see that we make choices and that God responds to us, but we also get to see that God has a plan, and we respond to his plan, and it's really fun to get to see any of the places where both of those things are happening uh, as a balance, not as a tension, I think. Uh, so we're going to start by looking at Ruth chapter 1, and I'm going to read us the story just reading aloud Ruth chapter 1, uh, and then stopping along the way to sort of unpack some of what we find there, and then don't worry, I will not read all four chapters. Uh, chapters two to four, I'll just sum up after we work through some of it. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. And so in these first two verses, we already see roughly when, a 400-year span, this story takes place, the days when the judges ruled. And this is reminding us that this was a very dark and difficult time uh, during the book of Judges. It introduces us to a family who has been in a time where they've been living through a famine, and they're making the choice to move to Moab, who is Israel's ancient enemy in search of food and in search of a better life. And they're leaving their promised land to find this new place. And so it sort of gives you a glimpse of like, it's a kind of desperate feeling, a desperate situation they're in. It's not I think I always used to read it as a kid and just like, oh, you're telling us about their move. <laughs> Having now moved many times, that's traumatic enough, but I haven't moved because I couldn't eat. So that's different uh, here. So now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So unfortunately, uh, the picture gets more bleak. <laughs> it hasn't gotten any better. A widow fall from all of her support, far from her people, is now in deep grief, having lost her husbands and both of her sons. 
When I read this in the past, I always realized that Naomi was a widow, but it wasn't until I was rereading this in preparation that it hit me that Ruth was also a widow. I always think for Ruth of the end of the story. Uh, spoiler alert, she gets married. Uh, and so I've always been like, oh, Ruth's the bride, Ruth this. But she's also grieving. And I realized that this story takes place starting with three women who are all in the same position. They're all widows, they're all childless, and they're all grieving in major ways. And it seems important to me that if we're talking about what it looks like to have choices and make choices, that we understand the state in which they're making these choices. This isn't a happy, I'm just gonna decide where I'm going, but this is one of those places where you're in deep grief and you need to make a choice. And um, I know in my life, when hard things have happened, it can be tricky to know what it looks like to imagine a future, to know what it looks like to have hope in these places. When my mom passed away, I was surprised by some of the feelings of grief. There's feelings that you expect, uh, maybe sadness or sorrow, but there's other ones you might not, weariness, numbness. There's all these different things that come up, and it isn't a one-time thing. Everyone knows it's a thing that hits you in waves that come at different times, and when you're in a place of grief, not only is that a hard place, but it's a confusing place because those things can feel quite paralyzing and you start to wonder which way is up at times. But in this case, it's not just that these women were in grief. These three deaths meant a major change in status and certainty. Their economic future was now in jeopardy. So they not only had grief, but they had fear. And these places are so overwhelming. And this is where we meet our main characters. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband." And then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for you than for me because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And I love this picture of a group of women who have found comfort and have been united in their grief and in their circumstances. It just stands out so much to me in light of all the other bleak things that there is this relationship that they find and this comfort that they offer each other. And then to see Naomi in a beautiful attempt to put their lives ahead of her own, urging them to go back to their families, to their peoples, to their gods, not even gods she believes in, but she wants them to be able to be in their homes and she doesn't want them to have to be foreigners. She knows what's gonna happen if they go with her to Israel. Uh, foreigners weren't supposed to be in your bloodline. You weren't supposed to mix with them and make a home with them. She knew that these daughter-in-laws wouldn't be treated well and she wanted good things for them. They wouldn't just be widows, but foreign widows. We see later in the book hints at how poorly they might have been treated when people have to even say, don't hurt her in this field just because she's a foreigner. 
Like they have to say it because that was a high odd. Naomi is willing to give up her last link to her son, to sons, her only remaining family for their sake, for their good. Can you imagine what that would have felt like for Ruth and for Orpah to have someone care for you that way? And for Naomi to offer that? I don't know, I often think about those moments where you make an offer, you're like, oh God, I hope they say no. (laughs) Like, what's Naomi thinking in that moment? As they wept aloud again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go on, she stopped urging her. I'm not even sure my husband proposed to me in so clear a covenant and invitation. (laughs) Actually, not actually sure what he said. Uh, He kind of blacked out, and I think I did too. But uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't (laughs) that. Um, Can you imagine, given what Naomi just offered, how that might have (laughs) felt? But... What's interesting to me is not just how Naomi felt. Can you imagine how Ruth felt making that statement? I had never thought about it till recently. I thought, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Like, that's so remarkable. Like, what a great thing to say. And then I've been thinking back, as my mom has passed away, I want moms. (laughs) It's hard to admit that. I'm going to be 40 in May, and I have four children. I think I'm a grown-up, and I want a mom. I do. I just can't help that. And so when I connect with women who are older than me, that's always in my head. (laughs) And you have conversations with family members, and it's just sort of back there. (laughs) Like, oh, you want to be my mom? (laughs) Kind of like, it's just this vulnerable place. And that's what Ruth is asking. Like, she's offering it, but it's a really vulnerable thing to offer. To say, I'm going to be with you and I want you, and will you have me with you? That's amazing. I often wonder what it is about Naomi that compelled Ruth to make such a strong statement. I feel like that's not something you say to someone that you're not comfortable around, that you haven't seen how they live their lives. In this culture, people moved in with their husband's family. They built an addition on a lot of the times, and they would have been up close and personal together. It says something about Naomi that Ruth was compelled to make such a strong statement. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women explained, can, exclaimed, "'Can this be Naomi?' Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Uh, Naomi meant pleasant or sweet, and now Mara means bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, before we complete the story and you hear how it ends, (laughs) I want to look at how their choices were made now before we know how everything ends. Because it seems like the invitation here is to live very intentionally between two realities. 
the first reality is one where we have a personal choice. And the personal, our personal choices and the personal choices of the people around us affect us. And they make the difference of where we get to move forward. And the other reality is the fact that we are under a God who um, makes all things work together. He's a providential God and he moves things in our lives. But in this moment, all we know is the personal choices that they're making. And so we look here and we see in how uh, Ruth and Naomi, honestly, have made their choices, that there's a few things that we have control over in our personal choices. We have control over how we choose. And so the theme that kept coming up for me when I was looking at how did they make their choice uh, was the expression that she used, your gods and your peoples. In this example, we get to see that she makes a choice believing in something. And so it isn't about what she chooses, that the choice is fueled by wanting to be led by a God that says, I'm going to trust that God can lead me. And I think often that can feel tricky because if God's going to lead me, then that means he's going to speak to me, right? He's going to say something super clear, uh, and then I'm going to do that thing. And I don't get the impression here that he did that. <laughs> uh, God's not one of the main characters in this story like he is a lot of the time. The narrator doesn't say God did this or that. It says that these women made these choices. It just tells us that. And so I think it's actually really encouraging that we don't need to always know exactly if it's the voice of God, <laughs> that God has given us minds and senses and I think at times feelings that he works all those things together so that as we make decisions and we want to be turning towards him, we get to have trust that he is actually leading us. But he doesn't do this alone. He puts us in relationship because he knows we want to have people to bounce things off of. We want to figure out how do we actually do this. And so he gives us people like a Naomi that, that you can see how she's modeled her life. It's, I think it's easier for Ruth to decide to follow Naomi moments after Naomi was just willing to put aside what was best for herself to serve Ruth. Like you see someone do that and you go, oh, okay, well, I can do that with you. <laughs> I could actually follow you to that degree. Because Ruth trusts in a godly woman, she gets to be certain about her choices. And so we see that there is a mix of following gods and people. There is, she's following Naomi, she's choosing to be a part of the people, but she's also very much choosing to be a part of the God. She doesn't just say, I'm following your people or living in your land. Those were going to be obvious. She's moving there. <laughs> she's going to be among the people. But she says, your God will be my God. We also have control over what we choose. And again, that gods and peoples thing came up. The way that Ruth is thinking about it then and now is quite countercultural. The way that God does things often is very different than the world around us. She makes a decision not on economy, but on God, gods and peoples. And I think we think that's a little foreign at times because it feels like the decisions we make are based um, and maybe outside of the faith, faith, more on economy or more on strategy. But I think if we're really honest, as we look around us and as we look deeply at what's going on, more often than not, they are actually based on gods and people, the God of this world, the people around us. But this is a different way of looking at it, of inviting God into that decision and evaluating it with a different standard and then making your commitment out of that. And so Ruth chose to walk with someone in the midst of her uncertainty, not knowing where it was going, 
just trusting with everything she had. She just jumped fully in, and she lived as faithfully as she could based on the biblical truth that she'd heard from Naomi and that she'd seen Naomi live out. And those are places where God meets us over and over again. And the last thing we have control over is what we do after we choose. Uh, It's really easy to make a choice and then regret it. (laughs) Uh, You've probably all jumped into water and wish you hadn't, or other moments like that, fully in, and oops. <laughs> uh, but in this example, we actually get to see two different ways of walking out a choice. Um, Naomi, I never understood this. It always has confused me, because she's like such a downer, it seems like to me when I would read it. I just have positivity as one of my like things in my head, and so I'm like, man, you're dramatic. Like, we have to change your name? <laughs> Come on. Also, you just said you're alone. You got this lady with you. She just came with you. What do you mean you're alone? I just had never gotten it. Uh, but what I love here is that um, in, in the whole Bible story, Naomi is not painted poorly for any of these feelings. She says, God has forsaken me. I am here alone. Like, where is God? And yet she is made to look faithful throughout the story because even in her big feelings, even in her emotions, she even when she says God has straight out left her, she still goes back to Israel. She still wants to cover and honor Naomi and honor the customs or Ruth, and honor the customs of the land that they're going back to. Like, she stays and remains faithful, even though she doesn't feel it, (laughs) even though she's complaining. And I love that, because it's so encouraging, because we complain, (laughs) and we get frustrated, and we might not ask for a name change, but we grumble inside of our hearts. And overall, God was very faithful to her, despite her feelings on the subject. We also can assume that if things go wrong, that we're somehow out of God's will or that we're, we didn't hear his voice or that we missed something. And I love watching Ruth along the way. Like she was married. It doesn't say for how long. It says they were in the land for 10 years. But in that culture where there's no birth control, uh, the fact that she was married for a little while and didn't have babies, which was a status symbol, an economic thing, could have made her sad. You could have wondered, am I making the wrong choices? When her husband died, you could have wondered, Like, there's all these moments where you can wonder about things, but she isn't allowing that to dictate how she feels about the decision. And even when they first get uh, to Israel, it's not immediately good. It ends well, but it's not immediately good. But they stay faithful, and they don't assume that they have to know the ending. Um, I loved it as we were singing earlier. It just, listening to us declare the things that are true about God, it just reminded me over and over again that it's not our job to know the ending, that that's his job. And it's our job to be faithful and turn to him, and then he does the next part. Hmm. Okay, so this is the fun part, because then they go back. They don't have money. I would assume that means they don't really have a place to stay, although they find something. Uh, And they have to figure out how to eat. And so Ruth hears about a custom that God has set up among the people where you can go to fields and gather from the very edges because the people have been told to leave that for people who are in need. 
and then they will be able to eat that way. And so she goes out to do that. And this is quite risky because, again, she is a foreigner, and people are not inclined to look kindly on her. Uh, and so randomly, she ends up at a field of Boaz, uh, a family member of Naomi's, uh, and he encounters her there, and he tells his men to not bother her, to not harm her. He tells them to put aside extra uh, food for her, extra things that she's gathering. I believe it's barley. I didn't want to say it wrong. <laughs> uh, he says, like, put those things aside because we want to make sure she's covered. And he's impressed by how she's stayed with Naomi, his family member. And you just look at that and you just, anyways, it's so encouraging to see how she randomly ended up there. Uh, Boaz is presented as a man of character. And along the way, so is Ruth. Uh, it's said repeatedly throughout the book that people noticed the things that she was doing uh, because she was also a woman of good character. And so Naomi hatches a plan to join Ruth and Boaz for good. So they, uh, it's always the most interesting story to me, but uh, she suggests that Ruth goes into the threshing room after they're finished the harvest and curls up at Boaz's feet and goes a little bit right next to the bottom of his blanket. And then when he wakes up, she should ask him to put his uh, blanket over her. Uh, and that's her marriage proposal. Maybe that's, Paul's was maybe better than that one. But <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's really interesting. So uh, what I find interesting though, as I did more reading, that she makes this offer of marriage to Boaz in a way that would have been uh, culturally honorable at the time and not as scandalous as it sounds. Uh, but God in all of this honors her integrity and Boaz's integrity in that moment and they are able to be married. And the, the coolest thing that is a little bit foreign to us is the other way that God wanted to provide for people that uh, were in need was that there was a concept called a kinsman redeemer. And so what this means is um, someone in your family line could marry you or buy your land uh, in a way that would protect it, preserve it for the family name, even if it wasn't their family. And so uh, because Boaz is related to Naomi, he is able to do that. It turns out along the way, he's not the closest, but the other guy doesn't want a foreign wife. So it works out well. She still gets to marry uh, Boaz in the end. And when her and Boaz has, have a son, it is presented to Naomi as the way to claim their land and get back their inheritance. And so it's just a beautiful story of how God orchestrates all of these things together for such good in the end. Um, and then it ends not only with that birth, but then the genealogy is listed, which shows you that this family is now grafted into the line towards Jesus. And it's part of seeing them as part of the greater redemption story. Ruth, a Moabite, outsider, who breaks social conventions to do right by Naomi, is now in the line of Jesus. It's amazing. Naomi loses her entire family in this story, but the tragedies don't surprise or seemingly concern God because he's able to steer Naomi's losses back into restoration. Her dark night of the soul becomes part of the story of God bringing King David to Israel. And so we intentionally live between these two realities— our personal choice, and the providence of God. Our personal choices aren't enough to save us. We need a sovereign God. As I listened to what Sam was talking about earlier, that line, you're the only one who can, just seemed so strong in my heart because I can read this story and go, oh, maybe I can do some things. <laughs> I can make some good choices. Uh, I was actually talking to someone who doesn't believe in God recently, and they were wanting to make 
like they were working through a problem and I realized I was counseling them as, as if they could make some of these choices, but I realized the only reason I've been able to make some of these choices towards God and towards offering forgiveness when people hurt me is because God's forgiven me. I realized I felt like my advice was a little bit mean because I've been able to do that in my life because God's empowered it, because I've received it from him. And so I realized I needed to change what I was saying and praying over this girl because I wanted to actually give her words that would lead her to life. And only God can do that. God is at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives. I love how they describe where the extra barley should be, where the gleaners should be. Like, that's not exciting, <laughs> but it's there in details. It even describes when he goes to buy the, uh, the land as part of the redeeming process, like, oh, he takes off one sandal and gives it to the other guy. Like, we know the details. It's very mundane, but he's also involved in the major life-changing ones. And we heard, we've heard these in the previous weeks. We've heard them in the songs. God does miracles all over the place because he is so desperate to be with his people, and he so badly wants to save us and he wants to bring us into his family, and he is willing to do what he needs to do to make that happen. In this story, God is hardly mentioned. They, they'd mention him, like they talk about him, the characters, but not the narrator. God's providence is at work behind the scenes, weaving everything together. And even when Naomi thinks that God is punishing her, this whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family and draw them into something even bigger and better than before. Sam referenced it earlier, how passionately God loves us and how he goes to such great lengths to draw us to him. And the miracles end in the everyday. As I have been processing this, I've been thinking about Ruth as a child. And what God must feel towards her. Because she's a young girl in Moab and there's no reason for God to bring her in. Like he could have easily had someone else <laughs> be the one that married Boaz. Like, I, I don't know why, Ruth, um, but God does. And he cared so much that he brought an entire family there and then sent them back just so that he could make sure he didn't lose her. And it shows you, like, she did have to do some choices. She made choices along the way. But there's something so true as well about how much God, how far God will go to make sure that he doesn't lose the people that he longs to be with. And so as we read this story, I don't know where you all are at. <laughs> and there's some of you that might feel like you're too far or you're unseen or God hasn't thought of you. But he has. <laughs> if you're here, that's a pretty good coincidence that he might want to be close to you because he doesn't miss an opportunity. So in the midst of our choices, how does God's providence guide us? How do we even see it? Because they couldn't always see it in this story. <laughs> They're making their choices. Things seem bleak. Things seem bleaker. Things seem medium. And then they're good. <laughs> but for a while, that's not clear. And so I don't know what it looks like in your life, but I would encourage you to reflect on the last years. I know for me, I often miss it. I was reading a quote 
uh, by Annie F. Downs that said, we have spiritual amnesia. We forget the things that we should remember and we remember the things that we should forget. And it's made me think so deeply on that subject because I love telling people the stories of things God does, but I forget them. I blog them and I forget them. Like I write them out, I tell everyone, and I still forget the ways he's shown up in my life. But I find as I practice telling these stories over and over again, I'm reminded of what God's done and the people around me are reminded of what God's done. And it gives us a different lens in which to look at our past because a lot of the random things are not that. And so this book ends with joy and birth in stark contrast to how we initially found these two women, married, with child, redeemed, and even better, part of the lineage of Jesus. This story beautifully explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. We make decisions, and God responds to those decisions. God makes plans, and we respond in obedience. My <sighs> favorite question that I just keep thinking about is how God responds to her choice, to Ruth's choice. He blesses a whole lineage. He grafts her into the line of Jesus, and this is what he does for us. He responds to our choice to follow him and live in relationship with him by grafting us into the lineage of Jesus as his children. It's beautiful, it's undeserved, and it's so appreciated. And so I want to pray for us as we close. <sighs> Father, I want to leave people with a statement or a sentence to take home, but I don't have one. Because what I want people to take home is you <laughs> and an understanding of how much you love them and how far you would go to be with them. So I pray that you would show us glimpses of where you have seen us in our lives and how you've been there and brought us to where we are now and that you would give us enough of a glimpse to give us a hope for our future. I pray that you would show us what choices you want us to make and how we're to make them, where we're to go towards. I just pray that it would be clear, even if it isn't in words, that it would be clear where you want us to go, how you want us to get there, and the relationship you want to walk in on the way. We thank you for being here tonight, Father. We thank you that we don't have to figure this out on our own, that we're in community, we're in family, and together we get to worship you, we get to find you, and we get to go where you go, and that you would be our God, that your people would be ours. And we thank you so much for that. In your name, amen.